Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learning so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple that you can apply as you develop into a better leader. And that's what this podcast is all about. Now, today's guest is my good friend, Neil Elitrage, a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon who works with the top athletes in the world, athletes like Tom Brady and Brooks Kepka. Now, I'm going to say something here that you might think makes me a little crazy. It's a little provocative, but, but stick with me. As a leader, you shouldn't chase passion. Now, I know what you're thinking out there. David, you've lost your mind. Everybody should be passionate. But I mean it. If what drives you is simply passion, you are setting yourself up for burnout, which is the absolute worst place you should be as a leader. And so while I don't want you to chase passion, I do have another idea for you. I want you to chase purpose instead. The great leaders I know understand why they do what they do, and I'll tell you, purpose will sustain you a lot more than passion. You know, we've all fallen in love with something one day and had that go away the next, but purpose sustains what you do. In my interview with Neil, he shares several stories and how this plays out in his life, his career, and in the operating room. And I can't think of a better leader for you to learn from on this critically important insight. So here we go. We cover so much in this episode, and I can't wait for you to listen in. Here's my conversation with my good friend, and soon to be yours. It's a conversation with Dr. Neil Elitron. Neil, I want to start out by just taking a moment to thank you for my own physical well-being. You know, a couple of years ago, I had Achilles surgery. I now have a plate and four screws in the back of my heel. And I understand that you have the patent on the technology that made that operation successful. I can now walk 36 holes in golf with no pain. How about that? Thank you very much. That's awesome. That is great. <laughs> By the way, how, well, you've never agreed to be my partner in any of these golf tournaments. <laughs> with, with the few strokes you're getting, I think we could do, do really well. <laughs> I, I'd love to do that someday. You absolutely light up like a candle when, when I, I talked about my success uh, with my operation. You seem to get so much joy from what you do. I'm so fortunate to have found maybe the one thing in the world that I, I really feel like I'm any good at, you know, and, and it gives me a, a ton of joy to be able to do it and, and to hear the stories like yours. You know, you mentioned some of the instruments that I had developed, and I get a real kick out of hearing uh, people that have benefited from it in, in ways that I had never really conceived of uh, whenever I was going through uh, the development of that. Um, you know, when I was developing any of the things that I've done, any of my patents or intellectual property, it was just to solve problems that I was facing, challenges I was facing in my own practice or in the operating room. And uh, I, don't, I don't know that I was prescient enough or smart enough to realize all the uses that these things could be, could be uh, you know, put into practice for. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear stories like yours every now and then to say that you've benefited from it. Yeah, absolutely. How many patents do you have, Neil? And, and how do you go about innovating? 
Well, there, I have I have six that are the main ones, and they're, they're iterations on 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 a theme um, with regard to using implants in bone that that fix suture where you where you need to to fix it to repair tissue, um, and also to to do it in a way that doesn't require a lot of um, extra suture, not tying, things like that. So there are variations on uh, on the same theme with regard to minimizing exposure, minimizing surgical morbidity, and getting really strong tissue repair. You know, Neil, the last time we talked, uh, you mentioned to me that you were going to have seven Tommy John surgeries scheduled in the upcoming week. Uh, something that's never been done before. For our listeners out there, what's Tommy John surgery, and and can you tell us how that week went? <laughs> um, Tommy John surgery is the operation to fix the the ligament on the on the inside of the elbow that breaks down in in pitchers, and and uh, also ha- happens in in other endeavors like javelin throwers and in, in track and field. And we found out over the years that there's a form of handball played in, in Europe where they where they tear this ligament too. But it really it, it was the stabilizing ligament that that um, is necessary when a person is accelerating their arm in 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 a throwing type position. And uh, my senior partner, who uh, who is no longer with us, maybe looking down from from the heavens on everything that I'm doing anyway, that he was the one that developed this operation. And true to form with his own humility, uh, he named it after the patient that he did it on rather than getting it named after himself. So Frank Job is the is the great surgeon that, that uh, developed the operation. And the first person he did it on was a pitcher named Tommy John. Um, and Tommy John went on to win more games after the operation than he did before the operation. He was a great Dodger player and then with the Yankees. And so that procedure is one of the most successful procedures that we do in sports medicine with regard to getting players that have been injured back to play. If you look at all the things we do, um, uh, that, that procedure is probably has the best track record. So you you did seven of these in one week. Uh, you know how is everybody doing after that surgery? Well, we, you know we we track our patients pretty carefully, and and uh, so far, it, it those were recent within the past several months, and they're they're all doing fine at this point. You know it's it's when they get back to back to the thing that that got them here in the first place. You know when they get back in the war out there on the mound, that that's uh, you know when we really pay attention to see you know, how they're, how they're doing, how they're performing, but so far, so good. You know, I was thinking about that. Seven surgeries, uh, you know, with people who have, they're relying on their career that, uh, that you know, relying on you to, to get them back, uh, back up on the mound. You've got to feel all kinds of pressure on that. You know, how, how, do you have a process that you use for getting yourself up for each surgery? You know, I, I stay in my lane. I, I do, I do what I really feel that uh, that I'm proficient at and that I'm that uh, that I'm good at. Um, there's going to be some things that I see occasionally that are not that common, and uh, and no one has a lot of uh, surgical experience with with some things because they're rather rare. But I, I'm not beyond going and, and uh, practicing a technique or you know, you know taking a some time to go down to the lab and, and, and working on some things if this is something that's unusual or rare. that So so 
I would say that the answer to your question is I, I am very, very prepared uh, every time I go into the operating room. I, I, I've envisioned exactly what the injury is. I, I've, it's, it, it's tattooed in my brain what I'm going to see. I already anticipate all of the eventualities. You know, you can't predict everything that's going to happen in an operating room, but what you can do is you, you can narrow it down to the things that could happen. And, and you don't want to be doing a lot of um, deliberating in the OR, in surgery. That, that's not a good place for, for a surgeon to be. Uh, that's like a, a commander in a battle, uh, you know, being indecisive and, and it, nothing good happens with that. So you have to anticipate the things that, that can happen, the things you can see, and immediately that drives you to a solution that you've already worked out in your head. So I, I'm very prepared. I, 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 I imagine everything that I could see. I, I already imagine the anatomy in my brain before I, I uh, make an incision in the skin. So uh, that's a, that's why I feel very very comfortable when I'm in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it makes so much sense. It, now I'd like to just kind of go back to the beginning. Uh, you know, tell us a story about your upbringing that impacted the kind of leader that you've become. Um, I was raised in a in a caregiver's home. You know, my 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 father was a was a, a surgeon, and his living was uh, in the um, rural areas of. Uh, of Western Pennsylvania, uh, and and that's how I grew up. I grew up in in a in a coal mining town of hardworking people, and, and I just got a chance to to sort of observe. And I maybe I didn't realize what it, the impact it was having on me, but I I saw what it meant to to take care of others. My mother started the uh, Meals on Wheels uh, uh, program there in, in that little town, and that was very important because there was a people as they were aging, they they really they couldn't get around, and it. It was a long way to go to the grocery store and things like that. So, so I saw the way that you you gain a lot personally by living a life of of that kind of service, and so I was drawn to that. I'm not a jack of all trades. I you know I, I was I was an okay high school athlete. I, I not nowhere near as good as I thought I was. My mother figured that out quickly and and encouraged me to go to a school that I wouldn't have any delusions that I was good enough to. <laughs> to to play college football or anything and and um I went on to Notre Dame and uh and, and then from there went to medical school at the University of Pittsburgh because I wanted to be a surgeon and all the uh, all the people that wanted to be surgeons at that time seemed to be gravitating there and when you're young and in your 20s and and you've found the thing that you feel like you were meant to do and and the, uh, the rewards were amazing because you 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 just you felt like you were on the top of the world, like you were an astronaut that uh, that was walking on the moon. Um, you you are sort of blind to some of the realities of life with regard to your profession. And I was drawn to orthopedic surgery, where you know you you had otherwise generally healthy people came in broken, you fixed them, and they got back to to doing what they what they love to do. And and I w- became an orthopedic surgeon. Orthopedic surgery has given me a real purpose and, and, and reward in life that I don't know that I could have ever gotten with anything else. You mentioned uh, the joy you get from your profession, and you just mentioned the word purpose. You know, and What do you think has is, is driven you most to your path for excellence, the passion that you have or the purpose that you have? Purpose, for sure. You know, I think that, you know, we, 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 I, I, I love it when I see people come in and they, they have a, a ton of 
you know, passion for, for, you know, what they're doing. Some of these young guys that are coming in, young guys and, and ladies now that, that are coming in and really drawn to orthopedics. Um, and they are very passionate, but, but they have to realize, like I realized, you know, after the fact that that passion is, it's a, it's about you. It's about your, your response to things. And, um, the passion can be both good and bad. Passion is, uh, it's your, it's shaded by your, maybe your needs at the time, um, what kind of gratification you're getting, but your purpose is really about what you are meant to do as far as uh, achieving a goal in life. And, um, passion will wax and wane. Uh, you'll fall in love and out of love with things. And, um, but your purpose, if you really consider what was I really meant to do to be able to do the best for me and the world around me, that's sustainable. That if you, if you really see it clearly, uh, and come to grips with, with that. And, and if you're lucky enough to really, to, to look at it that way, um, that will last a lifetime and that will drive you through the, the tough moments. And so I, I'm driven by purpose. Uh, passion is, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great exhilarating feeling, uh, now and then, but, but the big things in my life are driven by purpose. You know, Dr. You know, when you were coming up in the orthopedic world, did you have a, a pivotal moment that really changed the trajectory of your career? Those moments happen to me all the time and still do. I think that probably the biggest false thing that I could ever say is that I'm somehow a self-made man. And, and um, I think that those pivotal moments happened every single time some somebody came into my life um, that for whatever reason, took an interest in me or what I was doing. And I became better for every one of those encounters. And, and so I, I can remember so clearly all, all those times when somebody came along and, and, and pushed me forward, uh, did whatever they needed to do or, or, or added whatever they need, big or small, to, to make me better for having had that, that happen to me. So I've always remembered that. And, and I try to pay that back. You know, I, um, I, I try to, anytime that I come into contact with somebody that might be, you know, on the path to their life's work, you know, I, I, I try to add something to it if I can. So it's, it's happened to me a, a lot of times, uh, David, and, uh, you know, some, some big, some little, but, uh, it's happened to me numerous times. You know, you've talked about heightened sensitivity as a critical asset for a surgeon. Explain. Well, uh, you know, you, there's, the sensitivity is, it, it's all encompassing. You know, you, you have to be, if you're not in the moment and um, really aware of the interaction and observant, uh, uh, sort of as a second nature of people you're taking care of, then you're, you're not really, you're not really getting to a hundred percent of what you need to be doing. Um, so the, relationship I have with, uh, with, with the people, people I take care of is, I would say that that's probably the most intimate relationship that one human being can have with another. Um, I've heard you actually say that, that surgeons uh, can create a higher level of intimacy for human beings than any other profession, including the clergy. I agree. And, and I, and I'm, and I, I'm spirit, I consider myself spiritual and, and, uh, 
you know, I was raised in that kind of a household. Uh, so this, I'm not I'm not running down uh, the clergy by any means, but but when I look at the relationship that that uh, happens between two human beings, uh, when one person is saying I I trust you enough to put my body, my health, or that of my loved one in your hands, uh, if that doesn't strike budding uh, physicians out there right between the eyes um, as as this divine purpose, um, then I, I then then they're missing they're missing the most beautiful thing that uh, that I experience. You know, you know, you you hear and see a lot of doctors, you know, where you know they try to keep an emotional distance from their patients. Uh, how do you look at the relationship that you have with the patients, or can you get too close, or you know, I know you operate on a lot of friends, for example. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, the, if 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 the closeness clouds your judgment, uh, I think it's a problem. Um, and so, there's a lot of things that happen in 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 what I do on a weekly basis. That if I worried about the media, the press, the agent, the the team, you know, all, all of these other things, because what what would be said or what would be you know i it it could definitely cloud your cloud your judgment and i think the same goes if you're taking care of a, a somebody that's dear to you if if you're if the that closeness is going to cloud your judgment on doing what's best doing your job then then it can be a problem i i find i don't think that it's a an issue at all if i have if i had a friend or a relative that uh, I thought that I could do something as well or better than than, than what what else they could get for, for me to for me to do that. I'll, I'll be quite frank about that. Um, unless if I unless if I found myself in the situation where um, my relationship, my feelings w- would cloud somehow uh, my judgment, and, and there would therefore be a detriment to them. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and and. Yeah, you know, I understand you. You are the team physician for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Los Angeles Rams. What's that like, and what's the key to success in a role like that? Uh, very, very simple. Very simple ingredient. Um, you know, the the patient comes first. So every one of these players is, is I consider a patient, and uh, and so if if that comes first, their well being comes first. Everything else takes care of itself, and uh, you know. We can talk a little bit about the the history of sports and how that has aligned incentives as as time has gone on. There's more and more money in 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 these sports and things, but it's made made things actually a lot easier, not more difficult, because everybody's incentives are aligned. But if if you consider the well being of that of that player patient, and all that really matters at that point is that relationship between me and that player patient. Everything else flows from there. And aside from that, then it's the things that that make any executive, you know, a good executive. It's it's availability, affability, and ability. And uh, the three A's, you know, that that's that, you know, if I wasn't available, or if I wasn't able, or if people hated me, you know, I, uh, how effective would I be? So, so uh, you know, the, the the same ingredients that makes any any executive good, but but. By and large, you know, I can I can eliminate all of the conflicts of interest if I just keep the the player yeah. patient first. 
Well, from now on, I'm going to refer to you as the AAA leader. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you, you, know, you worked with uh, Hall of Famer Joe Torre. Uh, what did you learn about leadership watching him manage the Dodgers? He was a very player-centric uh, person. And, and what he did, you know, if you look at, at the people that he managed, and there's a few other coaches that come to mind, but Joe is at, at, at the top of the heap when it comes to this. Maybe Pat Riley was another one that could do this. They took some of the biggest sort of impact players, biggest egos, biggest uh, uh, people in their sport and put them together in a locker room. And his motto was not check your ego at the door at all. Quite frankly, it was the opposite. It it was, listen, you're special. You're here because you're special. Bring that that on on in here, but do it in a way that makes the other guys better. And I learned a lot by watching him um, manage the, you know, the, the big egos that he was managing. Um, and I think that, you know, he was so successful as a manager because he got the best out of each one of these big time players uh, and did it in a way that he completely allowed them to be them. He allowed Jeter to be Jeter. He allowed, you know, A-Rod to be him. The only rule he had was bring it on in here, but make the guy next to you better. And um, I think that that's a great way if you're taking care of people, managing people, and you know working with a with a real with a team of of any kind of uh, in any kind of job. That's a great way to do it. You know, speaking of egos, you know, surgeons are known to have huge egos. You know, because you have to have that confidence to be able to go in and get it done. And and you know, how do you? manage and lead the, the the ego part of your job i love the gratification just like anybody else but but i i in what i do it can be poison it can really it can be poison for me and it can hurt somebody and so i i really try to make it more of a self-awareness thing you know i i know what i'm good at and i know i'm always trying to get better and, and hone my skills every day and so you know, I, I don't mind if I do something because I think I'm good at it, because I think I am. But um, if I'm self-aware enough to know that problems can arise, challenges can arise, and uh, that you better be prepared to handle it. And if you're not growing, you know, if you're not green and growing, then then uh, you're next to rotten. You know, you're, you're ripe and next to rotten. So I don't ever want to be on the ripe side. I want to be green and growing. <laughs> That's good. You know, you've also worked for the youngest coach in the NFL, Sean, Sean McVay. W- what did you learn from him that you try to apply in your world? Sean makes everything his responsibility. You know, he has uh, what we call agency. You know, he thinks that everything that occurs within those walls uh, at, at the LA Rams um, is at least um, impacted or can be impacted by by him and his work and what he does. So he takes responsibility um, for pretty much everything that happens there. Sometimes that's a very difficult way to live because you know you you end up you end up really you know putting it on yourself whenever things that are a little bit out of your control you know occur. Uh, and so that can be a hard way to live. However, I don't think that you can succeed in in a in a 
you know, big endeavor like that, if you, or even personally in your own personal life, if you consider basically everything as fate or it's somebody else's responsibility, or, you know, I, I, I didn't succeed because this and this and this happened that were out of my control. Sean is, for his young, young years, is really remarkable at basically saying, you know what, this is my job. I'm going to study my tail off. I'm going to be as good at this as I can be. And I'm, and it's my responsibility to make this thing successful. And, um, I just, I, I, I really admire this young guy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that makes so much sense. He's clearly moved up the accountability ladder for sure. You know, you know, you, you recently did knee surgeries with Tom Brady and Brooks Kepka. Doing the surgery is one thing. How do you help your patients through the recovery process? Yeah, I think that I'm a very positive, optimistic person. I don't think falsely so. I, I, th I think that, um, you know, I see what's possible and I, I, sort of uh, exude that. And I feed off of other positive personalities. You've, you've hit on two people that I don't think there's anybody I've ever encountered, maybe the, the, the late Kobe Bryant, maybe, but, but Tom Brady is a, is a very, very special guy, as you know, I think you know him a bit. And, and um, so his positive can do attitude, it's, it's well-founded in reality um, but you know, there's, uh, that you, you feed, I feed off of that as a, as a physician. And so, and, and I think that they, my, my patients can tell that from the doorway, when you walk in these, especially these athletes, these are real sort of alpha animals, you know, they, they can sense a lot of things. And, and, um, if you come in and you're honest and they, they, they trust you and believe in what you're saying, and you exude this um, positivity in a in a realistic way. I think that that's uh, that is a, a big recipe for for success. And and um, beyond that, you know, I just I, I I do like I say I do a I do a little bit of surgery, and and uh, they do a lot of work, and God does a lot of healing, you know. And so uh, it, it it really I my faith has gotten stronger in a greater being the longer I've done what I, what I do. Because uh, when I look at that, it really tells me that there's something, something out there that is truly miraculous uh, when it comes to the human body. You know, I, I know you had a mentor that actually asked you to tell, tell him something that you learned each week, you know, <laughs> something that you picked up and he asked you, what is it? And, and I love that. And when I read that, I, I, I love that. What do you do to stay on top of your game now? Um, you know, I, 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 I continue to, to do research. I, I, I've, I have found for me anyway, that the, the most productive research for me is, is, a, a addressing, uh, issues that, that are challenging or things that I think can be done better. So I, I've never tended to do research for research's sake. I've never needed to do research for my own status. I, I've always gotten involved in, in investigating things that that I thought that I could do better, and um, so so that one of the ways I do that is uh, I continue to investigate. The other is that I, I'm a teacher, and and we, um, we we run the largest sports medicine fellowship training program in the country. 
we've got the largest alumni network out there. We've got 360 people now over the years that are out there that are sports medicine orthopedic surgeons around the country, and, and many of them are, are very accomplished academically and now have their own training programs. So, so staying fresh and, and teaching, uh, and especially these young, talented people that are coming in here now, you, you know, I, it, it makes me stay on my game. You know, you're not shy, Neil, about giving other people credit for, for your development. Did you ever have a, a mentor help you see a blind spot that, that you had in your own development? And, and can you tell us about it? Yeah, I, I think the first one was probably uh, the one that comes to mind. I'm sure that there were there were many before that, and I didn't even realize that, that they were uh, – polishing me up a little bit but um i i bob curlin who was uh who's considered by many to be the f- the true father of uh of uh team physicians and 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 sports medicine he ran the uh, group bob curlin and frank job are the curlin and job in in the clinic both passed away now but when i came to interview out of my residency Question he asked me was, uh, so you know, tell me about, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. What, you know, what, what do you feel, uh, you know, is uh, gives you the purpose to do um, sports medicine? And and he was the one that really, without me knowing it at the time, was drawing the line between between purpose and and passion for me. And uh, I started to talk about you know how great it would be to to do what he's doing and, and how good it would feel to be able to take care of people, the injured, injured athletes that were hurt and getting them back to work. And, and, um, he said, listen, I, I'm, I'm not asking you about, you know, what turns you on in the day, every day. I'm not t- asking you about your passion. And I said, tell me what you feel like your purpose is here. And that really made me made me sort of focus on on really the true meaning of what what I was doing, where I was going, um, and when I came to grips with I, what I was trying to do, what I really made me happy, what I was looking for was a way to take care of people um, in in the in the best way, in the best atmosphere that that I could. And uh, for me, it was uh, orthopedics and the active population and trying to help help get them better from, from ailments and injuries. So, so that, that, that was, that sort of brought it all into focus for me. Now, I, I understand that, that you're the president of the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine. You have 4,000 members. Uh, Tell us about that role and, and, and how you've, how you've led in it. Yeah. So I, uh, in 2019, I was the president. It's a, when, when you, when you become elected president of that organization, it's a, it's a five-year stint in the presidential line. So you, you really, you really get educated and, uh, and they help you to evolve into that role, uh, for two years before your presidency. I, then I, I, when I was president, we had our big annual meeting in Boston in 2019. And, and it was, a the largest attended meeting at that point for the society, um, uh, not because I was president, but because uh, you know the the program that we put together, and and uh, I had some amazing presidential speakers. So I, I what I wanted to do was to create a um, 
uh, an experience for the people that were going to take time out of their life, out of their practices, and really come and and learn learn not only about sports medicine but learn about uh, giving and about and about avenues to to be able to give back. A lot of people out there are looking for ways to to give back to their fellow man, but are are looking for the right avenue or or just some potential to do it. And so my presidential speakers uh, were Ken Langone and Stan Druckenmiller, two of the greatest givers that I have ever encountered in my life. And I, and I, I count them among my closest friends. Uh, I'm very lucky about that. My keynote speaker was, was uh, Tom Brady. And I had a wonderful young lady who gave one of the most meaningful uh, speeches uh, and that, that was Madison Kosian. She, she was uh, one of the Fab Five gold medal Olympic winners uh, from the last Olympics and uh, gymnast. And um, she talked about, she gave a riveting speech that, to enlighten us on, on our blind spots uh, that, that we have. And, and out of that grew a, a major effort within AOSSM, the, the society for uh, athletes' advocacy. So it, it brought us to um, the, the forefront with regard to being, uh, you know, official advocates for, for, the, for the needs of our, our, our athletes. And, and um, so I, to answer your question, I think that I tried to respond to what I thought were the needs of the members. I wanted to provide them with the things that I, I thought would, they, w- they would take away from, from my time as president. Um, and, and I would leave the society better, and I would leave the members with uh, a bit more knowledge and enlightenment on what we do. And so it was all member-centric. And so if I was successful as a president of the society, it was because I, I did it for them. It's funny how that works. You know? <laughs> You're also on NFL Today on CBS to, to give the status updates on injured players or perspective on injuries. How do you get prepared to go on TV, and do you enjoy it? I've done some of that less and less over the past few years because I'm—I happen to be—I guess I'm taking care of a lot of these guys, and so I—it's I, not really proper for me then to go on and, and comment comment about about them. So I've done that a bit less as as my practice has gone on. Um, what I enjoy is I enjoy explaining the types of injuries to. Uh, the interested public. I think that, uh, you know, it, it's educational. I, I think that uh, it's helpful for them to learn a little bit about, uh, you know, the kinds of injuries that, that occur in an active population and the kinds of injuries that these remarkable athletes are, are dealing with. And, and uh, so that's what I did enjoy about it. I, I just, uh, my, my ability to do that has decreased over time because, taking care of a lot of these guys that people are interested in. I, you know, I, I also understand that your, your, uh, your wife was an outstanding surgical nurse. Uh, how has her knowledge of the business impacted you? Uh, you know, she is, uh, <laughs> my wife is, uh, she can l- laser right in on what's important. She's not uh, tainted or uh, overcome by, glamour or celebrity or anything although she i think she's a beautiful glamorous woman but but that it, not not in the way that is uh, superficial or anything and she was she was such a great or nurse 
I don't think that that the you know those guys that I worked with ever forgave me for taking her off the nursing market, but <laughs> but she she because she worked her tail off. She was she can talk about agency. She considered everything that happened in that OR her responsibility, and if it wasn't perfect, uh, you know she was really was was not happy, and so she has helped me over the years. We've been married twenty eight years. I, She's helped me to really focus in and stay focused on what's really important and not to get caught up in, in a lot of the things that come and go, you know, with, with a profession taking care of well-known people. You know, you've had so much success, Neil, you, you, but almost every leader has an epic fail that they look back on. What would be yours and how'd you deal with it? As a surgeon, I don't remember the, the, the hundreds and thousands of, um, of great results. I don't remember necessarily, unless if I really think about it, or somebody mentions a name to me about people that have been great on the field or whatever after the, after my surgery with them. I remember the, I remember the few that didn't turn out like that. And so I, I'm trying to avoid considering those failures if, because I, because I know that I, I did the best that I could, you know, so those are the my my less than great results are the ones that I remember. Maybe the w- one thing that comes to mind that um, I really do consider to this point I've failed at was that I haven't really accomplished. You know, I, I had a big goal in in mind that you know I really wanted to create a a safety net for um, young student athletes that were out there that got injured that that, that didn't have the wherewithal to get the kind of care they needed. And I think it I, it's a failure to, to this point because, um, because I just haven't pushed ahead and been a bulldog about uh, getting that done. So the, those, uh, those are the ones I try not to, to, not to judge myself on. <laughs> you know, this conversation has been so fascinating and unique for me. It, it's also been so much fun just to hear your thoughts. I want to have some more with you with the lightning round of Q&A. All right. Let's go. That's okay. good. What, what, what three words best describe you? Uh, loyal, um, diligent, and uh, positive. If you could be one person for a day beside you, who would it be? I would love to. I, I think that for a short period of time and then get the hell out of there, I would, I would love to be the President of the United States. I think that... Um, I think that maybe I'm I'm I'd be I'm disillusioned or I'm I'm not aware of of how you know everybody had goes in with big ideas of what they could do but I I think that you know with honesty and, and attention to um, to to really what's best for the for the country and the and the and the people that live here you know I would love a crack at it. What's something about you that few people would know? Uh, I'm extremely sensitive. Do you have any hidden talents? Um, I, 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 have a few, I have a few talents, but I don't think that any of them are hidden at this point. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeve? Um, inefficiency. Your, what's your favorite operating procedure? The one that you just can't wait to go do? Uh, you know, I... I 
and I know this is not a lightning round, but I I vacillate and and uh, you know I go through periods where I love rotator cuff surgery. I go through periods where I love ligament surgery in the knee, and and so I, I have a few wheelhouses. Uh, you know, it, whether it's a rotator, I just I just told a patient that I'm going to take care of uh, another physician. I'm going to operate on his rotator cuff, and I said, you know, right now I, I, this is my favorite thing, and so uh, you know I I. I'm excited about the, the few things that I do, and it, it sort of it shifts from week to week, luckily. I want to wrap this up, uh, Neil, by, by asking you, you know, what, what three bits of advice would you give to aspiring leaders? Um, n- know thyself. I think that, uh, you know, no, you, you cannot effectively lead other people unless if you are keenly aware of your own strengths and weaknesses and um, that you, you, you need to be able to function when you're coming in, in touch with other people to make sure that, that the way that you're helping to guide others um, is not tainted by some unrecognized uh, weaknesses. And your strengths, put those to good use when, when it comes to dealing with, with others. So, Know thyself first. Um, secondly, accept the fact that that people are human, and um, you know you 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 want to be able to have some way to inspire, create inspiration in, in people. And and if you're going to be a leader of of any sort, um, I think that you you really need to give people something to believe in. And so it how you conduct yourself, your own life, and how you inspire others, uh, you need to give them something to look to, to want to emulate or to, and so, you know, I think that, you know, your, your own, taking care of your own issues is, uh, are, is very, very important and, and give them something to really aspire to. Don't, don't let your hair down um, in inappropriate ways in front of the people that you're, you're trying to lead and inspire. Um, and uh, and the, the last lastly is um, I'm all about second chances, and um, you know if, if something just doesn't doesn't exactly follow every rule or guideline, there's there's a, a break in it. To, you know to be to not look at ways to salvage something. I, you know I've had some some people who, who are are fantastic surgeons and fantastic doctors, and now they are in positions of leadership. That along the along the way, there there may have been a, a misstep here or there, and um, and if and if you know some things are a little bit too too egregious to be able to overlook, I will I, I will admit that. But by and large, um, I'm all about second chances and 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 salvaging the the greatness in in people and and not let. Uh, not let uh, you know sort of this blind uh, allegiance to a, a rule book um, dominate everything you know well speaking of greatness uh neil you obviously are a great leader you're leading the way in your profession and you care so much it's 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 absolutely inspiring uh and just by listening to this conversation i want to become a better person i can tell you <laughs> that i want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show Thank you, David. It's been a real privilege to be with you.
Let me tell you something. When Dr. Neal started talking about the difference between passion and purpose, it really got my mind racing. And it took me back to my days as CEO of Yum Brands. You know, we had had a lot of years of good success and we'd really built the business into a global business. And I wanted to really get people excited about what we could become. And in fact, I wanted to have something that got me so excited that I couldn't wait to get out of bed. So I came up with this phrase that we were going to build the defining global company that feeds the world. Now, what did I mean by defining? It meant that people would best practice us for how to recognize people and that we would have a recognition culture that was renowned that we would make our brands vibrant everywhere we do business and we would feed the entire world, not just people our food, but also the people who couldn't afford our food. We would tie in with the World Food Program and feed the hungry as well. Now, this was something that really excited me. It got me out of bed, made me want to go to work, and it also inspired our people. So I'm a big believer in purpose because that purpose drove me day in and day out. So I've got to ask you, are you leading with passion or purpose? Remember, passion will fade away, but purpose will keep you engaged as a leader through the ups and downs. Now, here's what I want you to do, and I know you can do it. Take the next 10 minutes and write down why it is that you do what you do. Have you ever thought about why it is that you lead? What's your purpose? Write it down and be thinking about that this week as you make your decisions. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that leaders lead with purpose. Take that into your week. Thanks again for listening to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. By giving you something simple that you can apply to your business, you'll continue to develop into an incredible leader as well. I'll see you next week.